So welcome back to this segment. We're going to continue where we left off in the live show. So you were talking about your transition there in San Diego, Sean. Correct. Yeah, so I had secured my associate's degree for transfer from Southwestern Community College. It was really nice. Uh, it was during COVID, so we had a drive-through graduation ceremony. Really refreshing, though. My mom was able to attend, Colleen. My Aunt Debbie was able to attend. It was such a great accomplishment to finally do something of redemptive value that earned me a degree and a certificate because I always felt like no one could take my degrees and certificates away from me, even though anything I acquired growing up was taken from me. I wanted to work towards something that couldn't be taken, and I felt like I finally accomplished that by earning a degree. And also what it did was it opened up transfer opportunities. And part of the pipeline of being from San Diego, San Diego State University has promoted a lot. And that was my dream school. I met one of their faculty. He would come into the prison and speak to us about Project Rebound, San Diego State University. And for our listeners, Project Rebound is the same thing as the UCI Underground Scholars, which is the same thing as the Community College's Rising Scholar programs. These programs all exist to remove any barriers a student may face who's formerly incarcerated or system impacted when working towards getting a higher educational degree. So while you're talking about this, there is an overarching theme I want to have you flesh out, you know, from your personal sorts of, um, your, your own philosophizing here. The redirection of the mind toward education has a way of reorganizing the whole feel of the carceral setting. And I'd like you to talk about that. And is it true to say that learning is a contagious social dynamic? Yes. One of my main goals as I go into the, as I apply to graduate programs and I go into this thing of working in the community and doing active research, I want education to be as cool as the gang structure was in my community. I want young men, even if they're from a gang or they're not from a gang, to think of higher education as a cool path. I want to see college represented in rap songs. You see it with worship music. You see Christian rappers want to get into communities and make their music popular as popular as hip-hop, that could be derogatory. So I think education could be just as fashionable. And one thing it gives you is a leg up, because as you move forward in your education, your chances of ever being incarcerated go down. Every degree you earn, your recidivism chances go down by about 25%. By the time you earn a master's degree, it's at 0%. And what that does for our community's health overall, you no longer get to validate police. So if you have a problem with law enforcement in your community harassing you, if you have a problem with them profiling you, you can stop validating their presence. They're creating, con not necessarily them, but the conditions exist that will allow you to keep recidivizing. And what that does is it gives law enforcement a platform to search you, to arrest you, to violate you. But when you function on an individual level towards earning your high higher educational degrees, I've never been stopped, even though it could have happened. And I don't, I've had peers who were harassed on a college campus, so I don't want to discredit their experience. But for me, I feel the empowerment of if a law enforcement officer comes to search me and all I have in my pocket is this associate's degree, there's nothing he can do to me but just apologize and go about his way and on his way. 
And as I even get higher into my educational studies and I'm doing active research, I can study why he approached me in the first place. And if I get into policy, I can start developing policies which won't allow him to approach me in the first place. So you start finding solutions for the health of our community. And I think that's really cool and fashionable because if you don't and you just go the route of being a major drug dealer, you're vulnerable. Anybody could rob you. The police could come and rob you. You could be murdered, sent to jail. And I know we're not scared of being murdered and sent to jail. I don't know one. Well, there is kids who are scared of being murdered and sent to jail. But the kids that we were around, you pump yourself up. Even if you're scared, you don't show it. And you might drink alcohol, do drugs to hide the fact that you're scared of these things. So we, we have a culture in California where we try to numb the deterrence. So deterrence doesn't work in our state because Replace of Replace the culture. Yeah. So I, and in your YouTube, you, uh, you have a YouTube interview, a, a YouTube platform, and you've interviewed X-Rated. I'm, I'm, I'm new to a lot of different, so I've missed some awesome. genres. I'm glad you threw them out X, there. X-Rated, and he talks about the importance of intention, what you're talking about too, expanding the changes in the world that you want. So it's Correct. this intention, it's that, it's a switch. And also if it's a shorthand that's allowed, uh, is that you're this replacing the culture is that you're instead of zooming you're instead of being at let's say the 10 foot level you're really zooming out you're looking at the setting in all its institutional constructs and that's where you're stepping out you're replacing the culture with i i understand what's going on in a much broader sense and you are therefore you're less vulnerable to that improper maneuvering of power in what in law enforcement where because we're, we're reading about it. i'm not saying that all law enforcement but i'm saying that where that transgressive part of law enforcement culture you're able to zoom out and you and you understand what's going on and that is sort of decelerating the encounter if there is one that's correct that's correct but um shout out to, yeah shout out to honore vashon brown that is x-rated out of sacramento so his music made it into my living room when I was a child and his lyrics promoted a lot of what I did in my life. So I won't say that he promoted me to go to prison, but he was making music without intention. He was just trying to be heard uh, and be seen without the intention of how it impacted everybody. And then when I had the honor of meeting him later while we were both serving life in prison, he had made that transition to making intentional music, which he does today. So shout out to Strange Music and tech nine and x-rated for doing that which is amazing work today but uh, speaking to your point of zooming out and seeing everything i think being a product of the rodney king riots where it had a direct impact on my life with my mom being huddled in an apartment during the riots and having us as two small children and then moving us out of that environment because of something the police chose to do to so one your, person. We just want to make sure that you were in, in South LA at that time. Yeah, when I was a child, we were in the jungle. moved to Paris. Correct. Yeah. So my father was a heroin addict. He's Egyptian. He would have my mother living in areas where he could secure heroin, where he had easy access to heroin. He became addicted. That was his medicine. So he had us living in Venice Beach, which during the 90s, Venice Beach had a lot of access to drugs. Then we moved to West Adams, which is next to the jungles in South Central. And then we officially moved into the apartments in an area known as the jungles made famous in the movie Training Day. So we live there. And when my father was incarcerated, my mom, now a single white mother, was raising her two half-breed kids in this environment. And when she would go to work, 
she would hear other mothers collapse and cry about their child being arrested for murder or being murdered themselves, which was creating a trauma in her life. And she didn't want us to experience that. She didn't know how to necessarily get away from it. And when the Rodney King events occurred and her local store was burnt down, she couldn't go outside. She was watching the events from her TV, which was in her neighborhood. And had he, we had a neighbor recently immigrated, an Asian man recently immigrated to our country. He was murdered by the National Guard. He was out past the curfew. So her experiencing this and feeling this uh, desire to flee, uh, at the same time, track homes were being developed all throughout the Inland Empire. And she found one in Paris, California, which was $90,000 at that time for a two-story track home. The payment on that mortgage was the same payment as that apartment in the jungles. So she made the transition and moved. There's the structural shift. Correct. The ownership, the security. Well, the, the overarching theme here is the choice of rehabilitative over the punitive carceral system. We're, we started, we, we dropped that in the first segment, but I want you to uh, talk about it's replacing norms, norms like where you grew up that you're just talking about, to new norms of a much more productive person. You're pretty exceptional, Sean, and you know so many like yourself, though. So I want, I want to talk you to talk about the, there's, there's two side-by-sides how this this changes the persons beside you in the carceral setting. And in preparation for this interview of several weeks ago, you talked about learning side by side with one of your correctional officers. And so I want... Uh, oh, you're uh, talking about when I paroled and I was paroled working. There, but there's all these... Yeah. So this, this whole rethinking rehabilitation is there's all these opportunities where you, the exceptional person, and there's a good chance maybe the guy on either side who's also exceptional just needs to be accessed, accessed, and and all the way through your the HR uh, setting where you're getting processed along with whom a, a person who used to be a correctional officer for you. So I, I guess I want you to talk about how that culture is contagious that we were talking about before. Contagious, it validates what is the potential in those people on either side of you in any of these steps along in this transition? Yeah. Um, uh, working to understand your question, I can speak of it. <laughs> no disrespect. It was a great question. It brings to mind for me that there isn't inequalities in our community. So if an individual is growing up and he doesn't have the structure that says, because just know if you have parents that are doing well and they're making, they have a higher level of income, their child is more likely to be in structured events to where their parents can intentionally influence their path that their children take. And if you're in a community where parents have less income, even myself, me and my wife are poor, we have a baby now that we have to drop off our little daughter, Naima, at, at a random, it's not a random house, but because we can't afford decent childcare, we just met somebody for the first time yesterday who lives in a trailer who never invited us in their house. And they're saying, here's this great deal. We'll watch your baby for like $100 a week. And, but when you, you learn through my life that if it's too good to be, like if it's, if it's easy, it's not yeah. worth it. It could be too good to be true. And I'm against it. So I'm thinking that, uh, I don't know how we're going to pull off childcare to continue working, but uh, that's one of the issues we face now. So just sharing that if you have higher income, we wouldn't have to face that. I can have my Resources other daughter are... in a toddler center where uh, she could be developing like our previous daughter who got into the uh, Irvine's toddler center because there's a waiting list. So we're just not there at that point. But that just gives you a picture of a child growing up in our community. His parents are in a situation 
and he doesn't or she doesn't get to decide what situation they are in. And if they don't have these structured activities, sometimes other adults in the community provide these structured activities. For instance, I was able to smoke as much marijuana as I went from the adults in my community. I was able to participate in robberies. And I, I remember having this bank robbery opportunity where an older guy told us, I scoped out this bank. We can go rob it. All you guys got to do is go in with the weapons. I'll grab the money. We were children. I was either 13 or 14 in the, the apartments in Paris, California, which to us, that was like our projects, this pink apartment complex we called the pinks. So being in that environment and learning that as a child, now going into higher, uh, higher education, learning sociology, learning about societies in detail, I have a lot of insight into what could exist for a child and what could dictate direction because we're all human beings. And I think even if you take that child who has the well-supportive parents and place him in a different community without that structured support, they may have similar outcomes. And we do know of kids who have been so resilient, they never got involved with the gangs. They never got involved with the drugs. We know that from our communities. We had juvenile hall staff that are from our communities. I had correctional officers in Lancaster's prison who were from neighborhoods. They would affiliate with the gang that was from that neighborhood because that's part of Los Angeles culture is to affiliate where you live because you're considered a part of that group even if you've never been put on. If you live over there, people are going to say, oh, he's from there. He's from it's there. It's culture. It's culture. It's deep. Yeah, and and it's never pretty much what we it. experience in California. It's, it's prominent. Everybody doesn't see it, but it's part of our experience. So the ripple effects you're talking about, um, it's, from, it's from the person that's been in detention. The ripple effects continue to affect family members, as you're also talking about, and the ripple effects the community. So when you're talking about recidivism is reduced to zero with an advanced degree that a formerly incarcerated person may have accomplished, then, then the, com the ripple effect in the community is you're saving people, public resources that are finite, and we can put those resources in something else than in a very expensive carceral system. And this would be a good point for me to reiterate that we do more for, and please, if you're a victim of a crime, don't be offended, but we do more for victims of crime than the district attorney's office by having higher education programs at colleges. Your district attorney office, they're again, they may have a stated vision that they support victims but when you see the tangible results of criminal proceedings they're protecting the state and they're protecting the law and they're protecting the legislation which is protecting interests of corporations and companies so if you're a victim of a crime you don't get your house rebuilt you don't get your you can never have your loved one back but what do you need from the person do you need them to suffer because that's the only tool of the district attorney's office currently is to make the person suffer who's committed an offense to somehow make a victim feel better. But the victim doesn't get a voice through the criminal proceedings. The judge doesn't say, reach out to the victim. How would you like to proceed? They reach out to a person, an attorney who's designated as representing the people of the state of California. And he's representing the interests of the legislator and the policies that are put in place because they have to abide by that legislation and those laws. But what higher education does is as one individual goes on and doesn't recidivize, that's one less victim of crime. And then as somebody with a master's degree who has a zero recidivism encourages other students from our community to also progress in their education, that's more victims of crime that we don't have, that we don't have in our community. So that's why I argue that we do more versus our local district attorney. And I know political views and people's opinions, and I don't want to offend anybody, but 
that's my position and that's my understanding. And if it, there's a different position, please share it and I'll, I'll listen to your, your facts and I'll weigh those. But until I learn more than what I feel, what I've learned, I already know, then that's my position until we have that conversation. And, it, and I appreciate your bringing in because I, in preparation for this interview, I've been wanting to know. So where does the victim sensibilities get addressed? Because they are the spokespersons for any kind of carceral reform and th that you can undo the argument by saying this, the, when you reduce recidivism, you have fewer victims. Which is tangible results That's, of yeah. no victims or crime. And it's up to us because if you or let me just explain this this should be really clear hurt people hurt people i take somebody who's has experienced a lot of trauma most individuals who are in institutions have been victims themselves i don't have the numbers in front of me but the statistics like it's was super really high. high yeah so if you have someone who was a victim that's one victim they go out and they make another victim and then they end up incarcerated and then your correctional officers in the system make them a further victim whether through a uh, correctional officer aggression or promoted peer-on-peer -peer violence, then you're just hurting somebody and they're coming home. 95% of everybody inside of an institution in the United States of America is coming home. So knowing that 95% of us are coming home, do you want somebody who's hurt, who may come out and create another victim of crime? Your district attorney has never addressed this. They don't talk about that. That's not their angle. They're more about convictions and perpetuating their success in their field by gaining convictions, but us, on the other hand, in higher education, promoting zero recidivism, we're taking these tangible steps of working with perpetrators of an offense to ensure that they don't reoffend. We wanna heal our peers so that there's no more victims. To me, that's tangible results versus a stated intention with no tangible outcome. Thank you for that. And it's certainly a, a filter through which we can be hearing all kinds of district attorney candidates that are speaking during the the primary election that Los Angeles and uh, our district attorney in Orange County is always running against the the incumbent district attorney as a that kind of uh, blunt instrument sort of blunt analysis about the the carceral system so I would like to close with you talking about now your transition after getting your Bachelor's of Arts at UC Irvine. And uh, where, where where are you gonna go from here? Ha, thank you so much. That's a great question. So currently I was fortunate to be hired to develop a Rising Scholars Program at Irvine Valley College. The reason that's an honor is because I'm a product of a Rising Scholars Program at my community college in Chula Vista, Southwestern Community College. I also went through Project Rebound San Diego State University, currently an underground scholar here at UCI. All of those programs are similar to what we're developing. They're actually the same program that we're developing now at a community college in Irvine. We didn't have this before. Irvine Valley College. Irvine Valley College. We did not have this program before in the South Orange County Community College District, which involves, which consists of Saddleback, ATEP, and Irvine Valley College. So we now have three uh, campus locations. But at IVC, the one that I'm responsible for, I'm working to instill a lot of what I experienced as a student into how I'm going to support our students as staff. Because one of the intentions, we are grant funded, so one of the intentions of the grant for developing our program is that we're student-centered, focused, and developed. We need to make sure that our policies and practices to support our students come from the needs of our students directly. 
So we have we have monthly meetings. We have a peer mentor position. We have a student voice whose responsibility it is to directly influence our policy and what support we offer our students. And that's what I'm currently doing at IVC. I've also applied to graduate studies here at UCI. In which program? So I received an interview with our uh, Masters of Public Policy, which I'm hoping to be accepted to shortly. I will hear back hopefully in the next couple of months. I applied to a PhD in education, which I would also like to, I haven't received an interview for, but if you're listening to this, call me. No, but um, there's a really exciting program down at the University of San Diego, which is, there's four of them in the nation. It's a Master's of Arts in Restorative Justice. That's the private university? And that's in the private that school. One there, okay. And what they, their intention of restorative justice is, I understand the carceral system and the restorative justice component when it comes to victims, mediation, and offender, but I don't understand the full idea of restorative justice being implemented into society as a whole from its roots. And I believe that goes back to Africa where restorative justice initiated as a practice amongst community members. And that they didn't have law enforcement. They had restorative justice type practices. Because I believe law enforcement is more of an American um, maintained corporations and like that. It was the outcome of slavery ending. Law enforcement was promoted as keeping us safe when it actually does not. And it, it's interesting. It was the sheriff system. Yeah. To, so to I, but, bring slaves back to the slave. Yeah. Owners. And that's no shot at, at current sheriff departments or police departments who are working to make this thing work. All it is is reciting history. Because as I learned in juvenile hall by getting a history book, you want to know your history to know where you're going. And I want to know your history to know how to improve your department it's and not, how to improve my program. It's not a show unless we give out takeaways, assignments for listeners. Have at it, Sean. Yeah, thank you. Well, if you did listen to this entire podcast, I really appreciate you giving us your ear. Your ear is an active participation in improving our community as a whole. I want to let you know that the individuals incarcerated today, such as Lakeith Smith, 15-year-old, he was resentenced to 30 years, and they feel like that's a deal when the police murdered his co-defendant. So children like that are currently incarcerated this could happen to any of our children, and it could happen to you. We had David Min, I believe he was arrested for, um, or he was pulled over and charged with a DUI. So not to be political or get too much into politics, but it can happen to every single one of us. And we don't want to hide what reality is. Us as American citizens, if you're the focus of law enforcement attention and a district attorney's office, you could be arrested, charged with a crime, and prosecuted whether you did it or not. A lot of us do do offenses and we're incarcerated for it. So with that in mind, knowing that we all can be incarcerated, be mindful of the people that are currently incarcerated. There's over a million of us currently incarcerated in American jails, juvenile halls, and prisons, and INS facilities, detention facilities across our country. Those individuals are not bad. They're not different from you. They are our children. They're our friends. They're our brothers, our sisters, and our parents. They're our neighbors. So I would like you to look at them in that light. And when it comes down to voting, comes down to a policy, I want you to be active and vote to support programs, initiatives, and policies that ultimately improve the health of our community, which are higher education for the currently incarcerated and rehabilitative programming. Thank you for wrapping it all up in that pitch there. So you've talked about the Underground Scholars Program, but what is your particular role in UC Irvine's lifted program 
It was such an honor to find myself at the University of California, Irvine, knowing that they actively, Kermit Ryder and other faculty here on campus, started a program which offered a bachelor's degree to the currently incarcerated folks down in the R.J. Donovan Correctional Facility on Echo Yard. I was on that facility. I was working towards my associate degree there, and I was in the pipeline to be a part of the lifted program because while I was incarcerated there serving life in prison, everybody spoke about a bachelor program arriving from the University of California, Irvine. We were all really excited about it. I was even more excited to have my life sentence taken away and released. So as I continued my education in the community, I find myself at UCI pursuing my own bachelor's and the lifted program starts and they asked me to be a peer mentor for them and go back into the prison and work with our fellow students who are currently incarcerated. So when they invited me, it was an honor to go back to the prison yard I paroled from and give back to those guys as a volunteer supporting them. We have a summer project that we were working on. Uh, thank, shout out to Michelson for their grant to develop a summer project where the currently incarcerated cohort. Whose grant again? It was from the Michelson Foundation. The Michelson Foundation. So thank, thankfully, they provided us with the funds to hire myself and another student, Tatiana Hazelwood, and they brought us in as peer mentors. And we developed a summer project down at the prison where our currently incarcerated cohort would facilitate an activity, event, a workshop, something that would improve their community, which is the currently incarcerated community on that facility. So it would extend beyond just the students and it would impact whether it's staff on that facility or other uh, residents who live there. One of the things we decided to do was a 5K walk, roll, and run for at-risk youth addiction. And that's what we're working to bring attention to. That's the societal issue that we want to focus on, the at-risk youth addiction. And the 5K run, walk, and roll is going to attest to our commitment to bringing awareness to that. And on top of that, we would like to challenge the University of California, Irvine, to replicate our event on campus with their own event, which brings awareness to a societal issue, whether they continue to perpetuate our issue that we raised or they would like to start their own. So that was my role in the UCI Lifted program was going in as a peer mentor and working on that project over the the summer and into the fall. So it seems like there's this kind of uncanny opportunity where you are sought out by the, the juvenile deten- the correctional individual early on, and you are sought out in the lifted program. There's all these steps. So it seems like a necessary broader opportunity is that you are given a platform for a nationwide adoption of this kind of undergraduate program. Are I'm, you ready? Am I ready? I'm, of course I'm ready. I was born to do something big for our country and our community, whether I would have initially, this is what I share with my friends who come from the same community as me. And by same, there are sections within our communities. So if you look at Crip as an umbrella, we have sections. So coming from that particular section, I was living and dying for a group, a limited group of individuals in our community. So when I meet my friends from that limited group in the community, the advice I give the younger individuals from there or older individuals, because that's where we originate. It's not like I'm currently from there and active, but that's my origin story. So be, having that origin story, I share with individuals that now we get to live and die for doing something good. We were going to die for the negative stuff we were doing. So now it's an honor 
to live and potentially something negative happen for doing good in the world. So if it's a national program that I'm able to help. Or other states, other states that are adopting the template, because there's no national university system, but just basically to to wrap it up, I'm saying that I'm willing to push it until it's over. I don't feel. But you think about that? Of course. Okay. It's a global thing. And it's. That's that's what I feel. Uh, I don't want to say I'm entitled to do, but that's the mission I'm on. I'm lucky to be home. I could have died in prison. I could have died in a community. I went from life in prison to being a successful college student and now managing a successful program at IVC. So I have no, whatever happens from here is all icing on the cake. My big moment in life was to be released from prison. That's what I pray for day in and day out. God, if I just get to go home, And if I pass away in a nice, comfortable hospital bed, but I'm in the community, I'm happy with that. Thank you, Jesus. So now that I'm in the community and I'm finding success, I'm ready for whatever comes because of that, because I feel very fortunate and grateful to even be here. Thank you so much for having me, Claudia. I appreciate your platform. Much continued success at UCI as you continue with your radio show. Thank you. My guest was Sean Khalifa, a student with the Underground Scholars Program at UCI who was released prior to UC System's LIFTA program. He'll be graduating this summer. So thank you very much. All the best and good luck. And maybe uh, I'll I'll get to see you march in the the School of Social Sciences as the school you'll be in. Correct, correct. Good luck and congratulations. Thank you so much. Can't wait to hold my children while I graduate in both arms.